0: Content warnings for this episode include transphobia, ableism, medical trauma, COVID-19 discussion, abuse from parents, death, and grief. Hi everyone. My name is Gender Master. I use they/them pronouns, and I will let my wonderful guest introduce themselves.
1: Hi, I'm very excited to be here. My name is Rook Feld. Rook like the chess piece or the bird. And yeah, I think that introduction was fantastic. I'm very nervous, but which is funny because I'm a performer by trade, by one of my trades. I just haven't been on stage in a while. So I'm very excited to be here.
0: Nervous is totally allowed. Stimming is totally allowed in this space. Can you tell us about the cool, squishy friend on your lap?
1: Yes. Shout out to the love of my life who made this. He is... From the Island of Misfit crochet
0: toys. I love
1: this. He only has legs, a torso, a head and a nose, and a gender.
0: <laughs> and, and it's in trans colors. For those that can't see yeah. it or just listening later, it's in trans colors. Yeah. You thought that was a microphone before. Oh my gosh, he's so cute. That's, yeah, does cute, your little cute. friend have a name or just, Honestly, just a gender?
1: I don't think he has a name right now, but I am open to suggestions. I do naming, uh, names are very important to me. So I'm shocked that I haven't named him actually. I have
0: uh, a furry co-host today. Her name is Neferkitty. She's mm-hmm. my emotional support animal. Like literally I have paperwork that says so from my doctor. Um, she's, and she's about She's very
1: regal. Her name is, a half. I, I very much appreciate her presence
0: on this stream. <laughs> We're getting suggestions of the in the chat you could name your friend Squoosh.
1: I think Squoosh is perfect.
0: Yeah, I'll hold, I'll hold my cuddle buddy too. How about that? We'll just both have our cuddle buddies while we're doing show today. Yeah, <laughs> I like this. So Rook, thank you so much for joining us, even like with the last minute invitation. That was unexpected delight, delight. We, there's a couple questions I like to ask all of my guests. So I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about what are some things you can trace back to your youth that indicated you might be trans or gender diverse one day?
1: Classique? That's a good question because I think if I had somebody, if Twitch had existed and I had somebody telling me these things on Twitch when I was a child, I could have avoided a lot of self doubt and pain. I don't know. I just, I, for one, I think imagination and performance have always been very integral to that for me. Like even before I understood or had read a single word of Judith Butler because i i played pretend as a kid a lot and never stopped and when i was playing pretend i would i was never a girl Mm -hmm. i was always one of the other one of the other characters in the movie that we would be emulating or a character i would make up and often they would not even have a gender they would have some kind of they would be some kind of extra human entity And like, my parents would just be like, my parents were actually very supportive materially when it comes to, yeah, shop in the boys section, express yourself how you want. And at the same time, they did fall into those old patterns of, oh, Rook's a tomboy, which is a term I detest, at least for myself, because it's hardly ever claimed by the person it's being used for, Mm -hmm. in my experience. And I think... It speaks to this idea of a dismissal where you c- oh you can still be a girl and have all these feelings you which mm-hmm. I suppose is true, but not for me, yeah, so I think f- like in terms of childhood gender full shenanigans, I think there are a lot of those, but it took me until I was like twenty. 20- one, I think to change my pronouns and until this past year to change my name
0: so have you done there's like a, a formal name change process
1: I have not I have no spoons left for any paperwork
0: yeah um, I hear that I totally hear that
1: I might try to get someone to help me with that put someone else in charge of that but there's mm-hmm. like a lot of things that I would have to physically go and do and sign.
0: and Yeah. say totally highlight the intersection of what it's like to be disabled and trans and have yeah. maybe be neurodivergent and executive dysfunction. And it's not easy to make no. all these changes for sure. I can offer to you and anyone else who's listening to this, if any of you want like a body double, like someone who's going to sit down and do a similar thing at the same time, Like our Discord server is full. There's like 200 people-ish right now, full of neurodivergent trans people who probably also need to get their heck and stuff together and do this kind of thing. So if you want to just hang out in the voice chat and everyone work on their homework together and whine about it together, like we can do it together.
1: I do want to do that.
0: It doesn't solve the physical spoons, but it does give some support for the executive dysfunction and the like motivation and the mental parts of it. Like... I can't tell you how many times I've had to have friends like help me with reading a thing, writing a thing, whatever, because my brain just did not want to that year.
1: (laughs) Oh, yeah. For me, it's that, but it's also more often like physical things like laundry and food and stuff. Yeah. I just, yeah. It's just like the day-to-day functional things that I am told I am a bad person for not being able to do by myself. Okay, Um, but
0: that's just not by my friends,
1: but yeah, no, I'm not a bad person (laughs) for not being able to do it. I'm a really cool person who needs help sometimes. Yeah. Most of the time. It's super fair to need help. Yeah. It's like, I would never begrudge anyone else the help that they need. And yet I have internalized a lot of messages from people I respect and institutions I used to respect.
0: Yeah. It takes that. time to decolonize that stuff in our own minds.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. Wait, I'm sure there's more to say about that, but my brain is, it's, that's it's, what it's I got okay. for now.
0: That's okay. I think that being in a community of fellow folks with executive dysfunction can normalize that stuff. Like for me, yeah. it's so helpful to remember I'm not alone. And I don't know, I feel like there's also like this generational depression because of living in late-stage capitalism. Like, of course, we're all anxious and freaking out. The world is literally on fire. (laughs) Like, of course, we can't get our laundry done. Have you seen
1: the climate? Like, I have to put in my three hours of climate dismay today. I can't do that thing you asked me to do. Yeah. No, but yeah, actually, two of the friends who are in chat here today, we were talking about the other day, someone posted a link that was like one of these big medical institutions that we're talking about is now advising all doctors to screen everyone under the age of 65 for anxiety
0: that's reasonable and
1: i'm like yeah that sounds about right i am yeah. not surprised by that i would be surprised if we did we weren't all stewing in anxiety at this point yeah um, yeah not there, all of us. There, some of us There's definitely someone out there who's perfectly neurotypical, but I've never met them.
0: The mythical neurotypical. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Maybe somewhere. Somewhere.
1: (laughs) It's my dad.
0: (laughs) It's your dad. (laughs) I
1: hate that. I hate it. He's not, though. He just thinks
0: he is. Yeah. Um, Um, This is so much fun already. So in case you all didn't know, our topic has about... We've got four or five topics today, so we're just going to bounce around like we do. But I promise I have entire categories with titles, so we might do some things in order. But We might, we'll see. But as the sound command says, we're queer, we do what we want. (laughs) Yes. Okay. So Rook, can you tell us any more about how your gender has evolved over time? You mentioned name, a social transition with your name and pronouns. Yeah. But I don't know, maybe there's more about the interior journey or experience or what it's like being a trans adult that you want to speak to.
1: It took me meeting other genderqueer people to understand that. And honestly, it took me falling in love with other trans people to understand that I am that as well in my own way. I remember, like, some of the first they-thems I ever met. And I remember that moment to this day. It's like almost Ring of Keys type shit. I don't know if it's a fun home at all. But there's this musical by Alison Bechtel. Or no, sorry. Alison Bechtel wrote the graphic memoir that the musical is based on. And there's a really important scene. And Bechtel, you might be familiar with her. She's most known for the Bechtel test, which is misused constantly. But fun home is a great way to it's really strides the line between revolution liberatory queer art and also art that might get through to your bigoted dad if you have one of those what was i gonna say about oh ring of keys yeah so there's this really famous song from fun home uh where the little allison to Bech is a butch lesbian the little alice which is like a whole that could be a gender itself it's, it's definitely not as clear-cut as butch lesbians are all cis women not quite but we could i'm not going to speculate on Bechtel's gender because i haven't actually read m- her other comics which delve more into that but anyway she in this scene there she's a kid and she's at this i think it's a diner or something with her dad and a trucker walks it, this, like, butch woman with a ring of keys on her, with, like, boots and the lace-up boots and the dungarees and the ring of keys, right? And this is the first encounter Alison has had with anyone who doesn't present as cis-hat. Little does she know that her dad is gay, which is, like, what the most, most of the book is about. But in this moment, she doesn't know that. And so it's this revelation to her, right, where she looks... At this person and sees herself and what she could be. And it's, if you want to cry, you can watch the performance. It's pretty,
0: yeah,
1: it's pretty incredible. And I think that's a really good example, at least for a lot of folks, of an encapsulation of that idea of self recognition in others. That's how I figured out I'm, that's how I figured out pretty much everything about myself. That's important, is like in contrast to or in. Harmony with things that I recognize about myself and others. When I realized I was autistic, it was because I looked around and saw that 90% of my friends were. And then I asked them and they said, oh, yes, we have convened the council. We have talked about this and you amongst ourselves without you already. And we agree. We just weren't going to tell you until you told us. And that's how it goes, I think, for a lot of people.
0: Absolutely. That's totally what happened. I Like, I yeah. remember realizing I was autistic or ADHD and coming out to my friends and then being like, yeah, we know. We're glad you figured it out. I was like, why didn't you tell me? <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> like yeah. You just don't tell Basically. people. They have to figure it out. Yeah. It's like a whole
1: thing. Absolutely. And then, you know, so honestly, I think that there's a really interesting discrepancy between the people who lift me up are the ones who knew these things about me before I did. And the mm-hmm. people who hurt me are the ones who I keep having to try to explain myself to. Not to say that like people can't learn or that there isn't overlap between those two categories, but I find that I find myself like screaming into a void of like, f- for instance, with a lot of the people who are in my family who I did get to choose to be in my family, as opposed to a chosen family where that's very deliberate and you're surrounding yourself with people who treat you the way you deserve the way you want to be treated, not the way that they want to be treated, which is, I think, a very important distinction. So I do have
0: another, I do have another question for you. Sure. Uh, So tying together some of the gender pieces in our next topic, which has to do with immersive theater, what is a gender jester?
1: Oh, yes, that is I, I am that. I feel like just a little fool dancing in the court of, of transgenderism. (laughs) I'm just doing a little dance. Actually, it's less dance and more like flailing, I think. <laughs> but the idea is that.
0: Maybe the occasional it's hand flap.
1: Yeah, the occasional <laughs> hand flap. It's going to be, I'm going to be juggling like two balls and they're all going to, they're just going to fall and, all, every time. I'm going to just drop them <laughs> all the time. And I'm probably wearing a mask, a different mask every day. And I have jingly bells on my shoes. So you always know them head around the corner is gender gesture
0: gesture (laughs) your gender identity today
1: yeah yeah sure we'll do that (laughs) or we'll do hibernating
0: polar bear nice uh we have Um, a question from the twitch chat Um, yeah jaken bakery asks do you consider yourself to be gendered and what do you think that means oh that's
1: juicy i do i think mostly what that means to me is that I am gendered by external forces every time I leave the apartment or even when I don't leave the apartment Yeah, because all my paperwork has my dead name and everything. Every interaction I ever have with the medical system involves consistent misgendering and dead naming. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't have to explain this to you, my friend. I'm actually, I'm speaking to my friend in chat at Jake and Bakery. I don't remember if you use the word non-binary, but we are both they, thems. We don't get the luxury—I won't say luxury—but we don't get we don't get the opportunity to ever pass, because which is like a whole can of worms, of course. But I would love it if I could go out and then and people would call me they them, but they don't. And so, unless they're trans too, then they will. <laughs> yeah. Which just comes back to this idea of community. That's like a constant negotiation of like how. Do I want to correct them? Do I want to stick my neck out when I just know this is going to happen 50 more times tomorrow? And there's nothing I can do about that.
0: The microaggressions are totally a thing and yeah. it's, it's, there's a big decision or a small, or a series of small decisions in every moment about whether or not one corrects. Cause like I'm non-binary identified, I'm on testosterone, eventually I'm going to look like a dude. Like I'm gonna pass as a guy.
1: Yeah, you're gonna I, get he himmed left and
0: right. I know, and he him is still if not already is still not correct. No, that's not um, accurate. <laughs> but I will say it stings less than she her does.
1: Because oh, at least yeah, at least people
0: are seeing I'm some other gender than wherever I started, and it may only be right. me who realizes that. I've heard trans people who pass talk about like telling someone they're trans and then getting misgen like someone's trying to actively misgender them, but then genders uh-huh. them correctly because they pass yeah. so well. Yeah. Oh, you'll always be a she to the trans woman who, you know, like passes anyway it's a whole it's a whole thing my partner's in chat my partner's in chat i'm sorry i'm so gay (laughs) (laughs) shout out to butter babe
1: (laughs) i think that's i
0: think that's my partner that's
1: their (laughs) that's one of their handles i believe Uh, but yeah i to answer your question jake and bakery i i yeah i guess i've never really thought about I feel like gender is more something that I wear as opposed or that I do as opposed to something that I take on in reality, as opposed to like the false being gendered is not usually a good thing for me. Mm -hmm. It's not, it doesn't feel good because it's usually somebody else doing it and they're doing it wrong. I'm kind of like, you mean the remote, don't look at me. (laughs) Basically. And I, yeah, I, I guess that's what I have to say about that right now.
0: So t- I would like to pivot a little and talk about immersive theater. and just for folks who've never seen the show and don't really know how it works, usually we'll take one or a number of special interests of the guests and talk about that and then look at it through the lens of gender and transness. So let's talk about immersive theater. How did you how so you do immersive theater and yeah. late twenty nineteen early twenty twenty. The world changed and everything had to go online or stop happening and so i'm curious how did the start of the pandemic impact your immersive theater that you do what does that all look like
1: so it's actually i was in a very interesting position where most of the theater I say I call it theater. And I did have a couple of things planned where they it was going to be live and it was going to be in a theater. And there was going to be a physical component. Oh, what actually is immersive theater? That's a great question. Oh, I know. I'm not okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'll back up. I'll back up a little bit. We'll do that first. I certainly won't try to define it all by myself. I would say it's a genre of no, it's a form of theater that involves casting the audience in fact we usually don't even call the audience at least in my experience we call them participants because they have roles to play in the world of the show and often their actions and the way they interact with the performers and the world will change the show and that's part of the whole fun of it. The classic example would be, the most famous example I would say would be Sleep No More in New York City. This mm. is a immersive production of Macbeth. Very successful, set in like multiple stories. And my I've never seen it, but my understanding is that you are wandering throughout. You Everyone wears a mask in the show, all the participants. And they have free rein to walk they just can't speak and they they go around the different levels and there are different scenes playing out concurrently so you're one of the things about immersive theater that I love is that you're never going to be able to experience the totality of a show as a single person on a single performance because it's always going you're always going to miss something or and find something else. And yeah, and be in all
0: the rooms at the same time.
1: Exactly. And that's also what makes a good game for me, which is something we can come back to. Because there's that sense of discovery and that sense that the world is living on without your input and stretches beyond the confines of the story that particular piece is telling. But then there's this other aspect where sometimes I believe certain actors in Sleep No More will pull participants aside for individual scenes and that is actually like the it feels very special it feels very secret and people will go to the show over and develop storylines with these characters between themselves and the character and that is more akin to the theater that i do as opposed to like big budget production, like in a physical location, the company that I was working with called is called Candlehouse collective. And they have been doing remote immersive or interactive, depending on who you ask theater for years. Now the founder of the company, Evan Niden and I went to college together and we started then. And I started as an actor and over time I became more of a, a writer actor and I've done a few shows with them. And all of those shows aside from like a couple are over the phone. So to answer your original question about how did I move my immersive theater online during the start of the pandemic? I didn't have to, because it was already there. Oh, cool! It's the tip of setup is, if you buy a ticket to a candle house, you're get, you choose a start time, and you're given a pretty sparse in preparatory preparation instructions. And then you are simply just one person on the phone with the performer or performers for about for however long the show is. And so my show, I call it my show because it's very much my story. And but I did co-write it with Evan and I originated the role and played myself. This show is called Each and Every. And it's like one of my proudest achievements for sure. I ended up performing it over a hundred times because one ticket is one performance. So this is another way that capitalism thwarts us because there's no way to make money doing that. And that's part of why I'm not doing it anymore is mm-hmm. because I, I, it was exhausting to perform this piece of my soul over and over again for very little pay. Yeah, And it's just not, it's not scalable. It's not commercial at all. It was critically acclaimed.
0: Yeah, can you tell us, so you actually, you won an award for your show. I did. How did that happen? I didn't even know that like, they did this, those. This is a category <laughs> immersive for immersive theater. Yeah. I didn't know that was a thing. I would love to hear more about that whole thing.
1: Yeah, so there's a there's an organization called No Proscenium. A proscenium is the front of a traditional stage. And so when you have no proscenium, that's that idea of the fourth wall not being there. I think it's a very clever name. They review and award do awards for Oh my gosh, my friends are just being so nice in chat right now. They review and do awards for immersive theater. And so I found myself in this position where the reviewers at No Prisenium were familiar with my work that I had done with Candle House before each and every. And so a, a couple of them bought tickets and I did not know that I was up for the award when I received the call informing me that I had gotten the award. So it was a big moment. It was a big moment. So I was—I found myself in this situation where I was performing this show from my bedroom and the person who got the the audience choice award from No Proscenium for best individual performance. So I got the critics choice and the person who got the audience choice was a fully funded Broadway production and wow. I was in my bedroom on zoom yeah. um, and I, I didn't make any money like I didn't I made 16 dollars a performance or something like that it was an hour and a half long about my life
0: yeah that's a lot I, of that's a lot of energy for so little pay. If I were doing that, I would charge like at least a hundred dollars a ticket. Because oh yeah. It's not I mean, only I think the, the show. The tickets were yeah. sixty dollars. The tickets
1: were sixty dollars, but I was not given the full price of the ticket.
0: Wow. I only kept six wow, that's wild. That's a quarter. You got twenty six percent of that pay or something.
1: <laughs> yeah, I hope they never see this. There's the reason I don't work. With... <laughs> yeah. There's a reason I do not want
0: to There's general outrage um, in the Twitch chat about you being underpaid. Pay your artists, everyone. So paid.
1: So no whenever I paid.
0: Yeah. Whenever nobody, I commission call. Whenever I commission art, I usually pick trans and gender diverse people and they'll quote mm-hmm. me a price and then I'll try to pay them more than that. Because so oh, frequently, that's what I do too. gender diverse people and disabled people don't ask for their worth. And I'm like, you're my friend. They're like, I'm giving you the friend rate. And I'm like, no, I'm giving you the friend rate. Let me pay you extra. <laughs> yeah, that's I can how do I do it right that's now. I, Let me do it because I, I can that's, right now.
1: <laughs> unfortunately, that's why I can't commission people very much is because I need to be able to pay them. Yeah. Above whatever they quote me. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, the
0: whole thing. People who get it.
1: Yeah, so, so now you I, got I really want to sh- really revive the show in some form, but I don't yeah. want to have to deal with Candle House, so we'll see.
0: Right. So you'll, it'll percolate, and maybe one day you'll just have a brilliant plan, and maybe someone will hear this and contact you through some way of getting a hold of you through your guest information. Let's see. Yes. We've got your WLO.link. Can people get a hold of you through there somehow?
1: They should if they follow the breadcrumbs.
0: Okay. There's also, uh, you also have also a Twitter and an Instagram.
1: DM me. Yeah, they could DM me. Absolutely. I'll
0: put um, that in the chat. It's also in the show notes, everyone. Thank you. Um,
1: but yeah, yeah I, I, I could handle talk about that
0: show
1: for a... Two oh, platforms.
0: Ahead, Rook's handle on those two platforms are Boxen202, B-O-X-E-N-202, on both Instagram and Twitter. So if you want to DM your ideas or do a quick little cheeky, here's some money
1: i do <laughs> have i do have links for that in my willow link thing awesome uh, for sending me money if you want to perfection um, but yeah so the good thing about that sh- i can't actually talk about the inner workings of how we pulled that show off because i signed an nda uh, and there uh, to be quite to be fair to candle house there are there is no other company doing what they do as well as they do it and there's a reason there are several reasons for that some of them good and some of them bad but suffice to say I did know who bought tickets ahead of time
0: oh that's good yeah my next question was just going to be like what's their moderation container I can imagine if someone knows you're an actor doing this then if you're trying to not like deal with this doc there has to be some moderation plan there's there's
1: no there there was definitely not for that there was safety protocols in terms of and i can't get into specifics but in terms of being able to stop the show or have performers be able to control the environment Mm -hmm. there were measures in place for that not nearly enough and the emphasis the focus was always on the participant and not what i needed I mean, I had to advocate to not perform the show twice a, twice a night. I was performing the show twice a night, every other night, uh, for months. And I had to be like, I had to convince them to, to bump it down to whatever it bumped down to. And I had, that was just one instance of me having to do some serious advocating that I didn't even have the bandwidth and shouldn't have had to do
0: the first place and it sounds like doing a show like that especially twice in one day that probably cost a full day amount of spoons it more would than it would cost me yeah it cost than that. more than that. You i was going the next into day to spoon recover debt. yeah
1: i was going into spoon debt Absolutely. every single day yeah but the thing about that show is that i still love it and i still feel like even after all that I'm so, I would not change. If I have to take all of that with the show, then I won't change anything. Now okay. that I'm more in control of my art, I will change things. Yeah. But I wouldn't wish that experience away because the show is about music, grief, and the golden record. Do you, do you know what the golden record was? I
0: don't. I don't know You're what the golden record was. Are familiar
1: with uh, the Voyager probes, the space probes that NASA sent out in the 70s? This might ring a bell, it might not, but they put these two records on the probes that were essentially functioning as mixed tapes for aliens should anyone ever find the probe outside our solar system but
0: they're like like vinyl records maybe made of gold
1: a lot like... of, yes yes a lot of people think they were vinyl they were actually like a more complex they were like some kind of metal and they were the information was encoded on them you couldn't play them on a record player but they were called the records and yes they were gold yeah and etched on the outside was our location in relation to seven different nearby stars and various like math equations and stuff it was just like a very flawed fascinating it's like a
0: message in a bottle situation
1: yeah but they let the writers of the message be like the elites, like they didn't. I like Carl Sagan. So, there's this the, the thing that a lot of people know about the records is that, that Carl Sagan and his wife, his future wife, fell in love while making them, which is cute. But also, the people who made the record, it was like a small team put together by the UN and NASA. And they set out on this absolutely foolhardy mission. To represent the universality of humanity, which is just a really bad idea and arrogant and impossible. So I'm in this like zone where I am obsessed with this piece of history and also with the idea of first contact and music because they put music on there. And then I also have huge critiques. And so the show is my attempt to do it better where we're going to have a bunch of individuals try to represent themselves, not humanity, but what is important to them as people, as individual persons. Yeah. And I will do the same. And so the phone call is, the idea is the participant is a volunteer for the et cetera helpline, which is the helpline for life's everything else. And I'm calling in with a problem that I need help with. And over the course of the call, the problem becomes clear that I there's that I actually have several problems. (laughs) One of them, the main one, the surface one, is that I want their input. And so we I guide them through choosing songs to put on the record from their library, that songs that are important to them. And I kept a huge we kept this big playlist. We still have all of them. And then we would listen to them together. And that would be our gateway to discussing the memories and emotions and the significance of those tunes for uh, they would choose one and then I would choose one I love that yeah and it was basically me it was parasocial central right because it, it was these people by the end of the call almost without fail felt like I was their friend because I would offer them vulnerability and every single one of them would respond in kind. And I learned things about them that in some cases they had not talked to anyone else about ever. In other cases, they were things that I related to or things that I couldn't fathom or things that, you know, cause I was talking about because at the core of the show is not actually music or aliens or anything like that. It's actually about my best friend who died when we were 18, Luke, And it's in some ways, every piece of art I ever make is about me trying to introduce him to people who will never get to meet him and trying to like not let the texture of his presence fade. But this is like a very beautiful and impossible task that I will be at the rest of my life. And so when people heard that and I told them about him and all these stories and these and it was early on in the show that I that his death was introduced as a an afterthought almost. I would just throw it out there and then continue barrel on. And then over the show, we just like just drip feed information about him until by the end, people are really like immersed in this feeling of almost knowing him and also understanding what the fabric of that is for me. On the day to day, where it is omnipresent, and also it's like a, a grief. I have just I have thousands of metaphors for grief because none of them are sufficient. But I would describe it as a second skin. It can itch, and it stretches taut over your forehead, and it like forms a film over your eyes to the point where everything is colored by it, and you're just constantly, if you touch something, then the grief touches it as well. So, you can imagine that. Performing that show over a hundred times really took a toll, but was also indescribably beautiful and important.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing about each and every. What a beautiful monument to your beloved dead.
1: Thank you. Yeah. Yeah.
0: You know, it's possible by the time this is in the audio version of the podcast, it will almost be Samhain because it's about a month from when we record it live to when it's actually published. So I'm we, Lee. we could dedicate this episode in memory of your friend. I would love that. Thank you. Yeah, I would, that would be nice. Thank you for sharing. I had the stroke of life circumstance to run lights for this circus show once. And so we did the, sh- the same show every circus. night for two weeks. Yeah yeah i have it's like a little independent circus in big town nearby and it's it, luke was a circus artist so. oh i love that yeah I, I had gotten a concussion i couldn't do my day job i lost my housing because my i gotten broken up with that summer and so all my housemates thought i was had lost my mind because frankly i mostly had and so it was like the lowest point of my 20s everything was terrible my brain wasn't working. I had no income and nothing to do. And it's like, it's December. It's dark. It's time to join the circus. I need to find something to do so that I will keep waking up and getting out of my bed. And by some combination of things, I, I have a friend who was performing in the show and was like, hey, we're looking for someone to run lights. Do you want to talk to the stage manager or whatever? I didn't get paid any money to do this. That is sometimes how theater goes. But... Yes. I got to be in the green room and run lights and see the show and hear the really great music soundscaping. I was like, like the stage manager was doing all of the sound design. And so they were up there doing all those cues, reminding me of all my cues and I was pushing buttons. Also
1: not being paid, most likely.
0: Yeah, probably. But more
1: likely to be paid than you.
0: Yeah. And the
1: the stage manager. Anyway, sorry, go ahead.
0: (laughs) But I feel like because I saw the show every time it went, I developed a really special relationship with that material that no yeah. one else or almost no one else had. Maybe that stage manager had it too because we were sitting in the same booth doing the buttons. But, you know, but you're also I,
1: distinct individuals, so yeah. probably
0: they, the flavor
1: was different, I'm sure.
0: But even just from like perspective, like I'm up here looking at the whole show sideways the whole time. I'm not in the audience looking straight on. It's not front row versus back row. It's 90 degrees different the whole show mm-hmm. all the way through, start to finish. And I also got to go out for drinks with the cast after every time yeah. like whatever like it's just a whole different vibe <laughs> and it Seriously? was such a beautiful show it was called love and gravity it was like all about like relationships and just the complexity and interweavings of relationship and it, i'm pretty sure the whole show either most or all of the show is nonverbal. it was all just music and acting mm-hmm. but they had stories in their minds they were telling with their circus art so if it's trapeze if it's silk if it's sear steer yeah. wheel whatever acrobatics there was some clowns doing silly clown things with giant giant umbrellas and whatever and anyways it was just it was really interesting to experience that show over and see how it went from like the actor's first day when they were really anxious and like unsure but we're just gonna do our best we've trained as much as we're going to and now it's time till the last night where we're all like sad it's over and it was such a great experience and what have you and it was like such an injection of, like, life and goodness in this time of my life where I was just so spent, like, emotionally spent. I was so done with anything. I was done with adulting. I was done with relationships then. Anyways, it all turned out great for me in the long run, in case you're American and need a happy ending. Oh my god. (laughs) That was a kill shot. (laughs) Wow. Good good job.
1: What? So... What made you think of that? Just uh, theater
0: box, just or...? Hearing, hearing you talk about your relationship to your show and doing it so many times and like how you would yeah. have this emotional closeness with your audience, it... or like the parasocial relationship, it was... it almost felt like I had a parasocial relationship with the rest of the cast. It, there was like this imposter syndrome thing of, I wasn't in all the rehearsals, I was just here yeah. at the end during tech. I right. don't know if they actually want me around or if it's just, like, I guess they pick that person to do the buttons, right? but i don't know there I are could, some friends I, wasn't I definitely not but who were in the cast There's i was gonna
1: say i wasn't there but i would be shocked if they didn't want you there <laughs> <laughs> They that's, kept you around for a reason.
0: Yeah, the stage manager maybe could have done all the buttons by themselves. I felt like they were doing me a solid, giving me a thing to do. But it was a really special experience. If anyone has seen the maroon hoodie that I wear, like, constantly, that's from the theater troupe Acrobatic Conundrum. And so I've, I wear it because I get cold when I wear a t-shirt sometimes. But it's it's from that group. And so it's my little token to remember that, that time in my life. But yeah, it's It's interesting experiencing theater from the like performer or producer perspective. It's just... It's just it's a different relationship yeah. with the material than the audience will ever understand.
1: I have been both, obviously, but I never I will never understand the audience perspective fully because I have been on stage my whole life in yeah. one way or another, yeah. which is has its ups and downs.
0: Yeah. So let's talk about tabletop role-playing games. There's so many more fun things to discuss today. How did you get into art and designing tabletop role-playing games?
1: I guess it depends on how you define a tabletop role-playing game, which is a big question. Because like I said, I was playing pretend the whole time. And sometimes... We would stop. I would stop the story I was telling to my friends on the playground and we would drop a leaf from eye height. And depending on which side the leaf landed on, that would determine whether the hero of the story was successful in what they just attempted to do. This might sound familiar to some of you, as I accidentally reinvented the TTRPG wheel on the playground. And I'm sure a lot of people have done this before. Yeah, roll a leaf, basically. It is a skill (laughs) check. I love that. I had no, I didn't know. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know what Dungeons and Dragons or anything like that was until later. And then, of course, like a lot of people, I was into D and I I, I outgrew it quite swiftly, actually, probably right away, because right away I threw out the rules. And I was just like, this is the thing I know about. So this is what we're going to do. But I didn't use their world building at all. I didn't care about the book so i wasn't really playing DD. i was playing something else and that naturally became let's make games i can't believe gary actually plagiarized me yeah basically yeah he did and then and he owes me money nice He owes a lot of people money. He sucks (laughs) and is dead, but okay. So actually these two hooligans in chat are part of a friend group with me with a creator by the name of Sylvan Lawrence, who is a fantastic, actually both the people in uh, Jake and Bakery and Corvid are both TTRPG creators as well. Um, And we have done quite a bit of role play together. And the social link between us is Sylvan who... I would credit as like one of my pro, one of my favorite artists and almost certainly my favorite TTRPG creator. You better go check their stuff out, everyone who's watching. All seven of you. If I don't see seven more upticks in 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 Clawhammer game sales tomorrow, I'm gonna throw a tantrum. But yes, I think it was mostly Sylvan and. J Dragon, who, of Wanderhome and Yaziba's Bed and Breakfast fame, who, the spaces that they created allowed me to realize that this is what I want to be doing. And we've, Sylvan and I have collaborated a couple times. Nothing released yet? Yeah, you can find them on Itch. They probably have their own website too. They're pretty spiffy. Yeah. I would suggest Athanor to start if you're looking for a solo, a solo experience from Sylvan. But yes... That is how I got into this. And also all my previous art and writing skills and acting skills and all that feed into it. So it just felt so natural to just compile, almost compile those skills into, into games.
0: So what is special about Clawhammer games? What a good question. If I know nothing about tabletop role-playing games or nothing about Clawhammer specifically... How do I know them from Wanderhome or D&D or Thirsty Sword Lesbians or Coyote and Crow or the new yeah. Avatar game that just came out? What's special or unique or specific about them?
1: I think for me it's this is only one aspect. But if you look at their latest release Gravemire, you'll find a really skillful approach to horror that I think permeate Sylvan and Clawhammer's work. Corvid and I were actually talking about this like a month ago. I don't know if you remember, help me out here, Corvid, if you will, but we were talking about how specifically the approach to horror taken in, in a lot of Sylvan's like work is like, catharsis incarnate almost it's like a how did you even say it you had so many good thoughts and it was but we were talking about how the role play that we engage in in the ARG that we're in is and I don't know how much I'm allowed to talk about that but it's a a safe way to explore things that hurt us every day And to actually look them in the face and then maybe be able to do something about it or not, or just have your character suffer, that also works. But yeah, I think we were talking about like how it's very important for a lot of marginalized folks to be able to access worlds that explore the horrors that we encounter every day, but also just guts and stuff like just sometimes you just want to punch a demon or mm. wrestle control of your narrative from an a vengeful god so would
0: these
1: you are say, things that i've would you say *Grave gravemire
0: is like an intersectionally feminist horror game
1: i can't i don't want to put a tagline on gravemire because i was not involved in the creation of it but sure. i i think that the approach that Clawhammer takes to making games is full of care and full of a very blunt look at okay, this is these are the things we're facing. We're not going to, yeah, compassionate horror. That's such a great thank you. Corvid comes in clutch every time. That's it. That's it. That's what I've been looking for. Thank you. That's it.
0: <laughs> compassionate horror. Yeah. It's like and i, I trying to horror. do that.
1: <laughs> yeah and I try to do I try to do that's I think one of the next questions we have is what are you proud of about your TTRPGs and I yeah. was gonna say about my, my work that that I'm particularly proud of there's one collection of game poems that I have we could talk about what game poems mean as well if we want if you want called after party v2 and I bill after party as an evening of playful bereavement Mm. Games about grief. but a friend of mine who's also a, a creator of tabletop role playing games, Molina, she pointed out to me that she thinks that the through line between the games are actually actually it's actually closer to care is the through line in after party care for the person reading the rules, care for the stories that we're going to be telling together, and care for myself, the person writing the rules so that's. What I'm, I, I, that's one of the things I'm super proud of about my games is that I think I, there's not a moment that goes by in the creation and playing of them
0: that doesn't involve just like a huge emphasis on accommodating and
1: taking care of everyone involved.
0: Yeah. We've had a number of mindful, gender diverse tabletop role-playing game writing people on this show we've had yes. j dragon who i mentioned to you in the pre-show we've also had logan also known as Ink and stories and there's something we interesting are, that we are logan collaborators is i love that we are collabor. We, so we are
1: making a game together
0: that's wonderful i yes logan i don't remember if it was for the trans hacking rage jam there's a different word in the middle there or something else but Logan has made one or two like trans men are hot flavored tabletop games. I
1: illustrated that game. <laughs> oh my god, I love that. I the illustrations did, I were did, so I great.
0: Re- oh my <laughs> yes. god, thank you. I, I love I, them. There's so much like. Wonderful body things happening in that. It's, it's, so we did a lot of talking. Yeah.
1: We talked a lot about actually what I'm really proud of with those, besides what you already mentioned, was the angle, the choice of the above, yeah the bird's eye view angle. Yeah. And that was my decision too. And I did have to explain. I was, Logan was like, Oh, I'm interested in why you think we should do that. I was like, We're going to keep the angle consistent. We're going to change everything else about the people involved in in the horizontal tango going on yeah and we're not going to it's just going to be very there's not going to be any bells and whistles when it and it's they're just going to be like in full view basically there's zero shame in those drawings
0: I love um, it so much
1: yeah I really liked that that was my first game that I released on Twitter I, love on,
0: on I had no idea <laughs> yeah so yeah, just like, you know who you'd like, like is
1: Logan. <laughs> <laughs> those brush strokes are mine.
0: That's um, so great.
1: <laughs> but yeah, I draw erotica because I got tired of drawing clothes.
0: Wonderful. And then I was like,
1: this is how we're going to, this is how I'm going to learn how to draw bodies interacting. I was drawing fight scenes. It was pretty, uh, it was a pretty easy transition.
0: You decided um, to be a lover, not a fighter.
1: Or kind of
0: you can totally do both. both. It's fine.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> I love that so much. Uh, I'm like, maybe going to cry. <laughs> about how you. I'm and Logan so know each other. glad. That's, that's so, so
1: funny. Cool. <laughs> yeah. We're working. We're literally working on another, uh, a really big project that's been kicking around in my brain for a long time. It started out as a novel idea before I picked up these other skills called summit of the living mountain. And it's a rival heist team mountain climbing game except the mountain is a
0: kaiju oh my gosh
1: yeah like the mountain is its own ecosystem the teams have conflicting goals and also the characters have these I don't know what we're gonna call them but leave levers where it's like if this happens nobody else knows this but if your this other character who is your character's ex says this, then you have to switch sides or you have the opportunity to switch sides or you gain this skill. There's like lots of character-driven explosive stuff going on there. So yeah, we're very excited about that. And my partner is illustrating it. I love that. Yes, Corvid, heist kaiju game. I forgot to tell, Corvid is our resident Pacific Rim expert. I forgot to tell him. We were too so busy fun. playing Momado's Lighthouse Game, making up, <laughs> making up gay shit. You have no idea. You have no idea. I'm calling us out right now. Corvid and I. are. Pl- we are on day, we just finished day three of, if you're familiar with, has a game called There's a Light at the Edge of the World. About a lighthouse keeper and a mechanic who have to try to fix a lighthouse together through a language barrier. And if that sounds like yearning central to you, then it is, because I'm fully obsessed with this game. But I'm about to write the spiciest of all good reviews for this game, because I think Corvid and I are both just really. The characters that we're creating feel real. (laughs) And I don't know how Momatoes did that. There's some kind of alchemy going on. But yes, I would highly recommend that game as well.
0: So many great game wrecks. Yeah.
1: Yeah, Corvid, all her layout and design is also amazing. You're right.
0: So what are game poems? You mentioned those a minute ago.
1: Yes. So as far as I know, a game poem, game poem was a term that originated out of Norway, the Norwegian TTRPGC. And the idea is in the title, if you, if you think about like a game that also functions as a poem and is more about tone and brevity and emotion than it is about like mechanics and rolling dice, if that makes sense. So that's, all the games in After Party V2, for instance, can be played in under fifteen minutes. In fact, they can't they don't go over fifteen. and they're all very like individual experiences.
0: Yeah it seems like you you have a real taste for individual experiences that are perhaps emotionally vulnerable might pack a punch, but it happens so fast that people are like, "Wait, what just happened?"
1: Yeah, I don't know any other way. It's I like your favorite kind of sucker time. punch. <laughs> Absolutely. I am I show no mercy. Yeah, I also came up in a environment in college where I was very involved in the performance art scene in in Chicago, where if you're not familiar with the performance scene there improv at least as we know it in the English language originated in Chicago and so did the form that I was doing with my friends which is called a uh, neo-futurism which is a very comp- very interesting topic because first of all the futurists were Italian fascists so already we're like in a lot of it, there's much to be discussed when it comes to Taking what, because they had a lot of things that had nothing, they had a lot of practices that had nothing to do with their fascism, but of course, all of that is baked in. You cannot take that apart, necessarily, but you can steal. (laughs) You can steal as long as, so what futurism is and what neo-futurism is are very different therefore, that neo-futurism is almost like one of those movements that is a reaction against a previous movement, but also heavily informed by that movement, of course. So I would say that the pillars of neo-futurism are brevity, like we've discussed, the jettisoning of suspension of disbelief, and randomness. So what we would do is we would write these shows about ourselves, playing ourselves. And this is where I got the idea to do that for each and every. And we would have, we would perform in this lecture hall. And there was a whiteboard or a a chalkboard behind us. And we drew a grid on the chalkboard and we had numbered cards, one for each, we call them plays, but the plays that we wrote are anywhere from seconds to five minutes long, no, no longer than seven minutes. And so we had a card for each play and using the help of the audience, we would generate an order on this grid for each card. The the play would have a number and the numbers would go in the grid in a random order generated by the audience. And then we would pull down the number when it came time to do that play, turn the number over and reveal which play would be next. So the effect of that is that we don't know the order of the show is going to be in, it, And it's different every, which creates an incredible amount of energy and scramble to, to transition between plays, but also just this electric feeling where nobody knows what's coming next, including the performers. And we were playing ourselves. We were, the, the emotional whiplash was always a part of it because we would have one play about silly socks and then the next play would be about Luke's death or so. And then the next play would be uh, silly again. And they were scripted for the most part, but we did have improv in there occasionally where we would have blank spaces that didn't have plays in them. They instead had a prompt that said something like, Rook does the last play by themselves or do the last two plays combine. And, and finally, the suspension of disbelief that we got rid of meant that If something happens in the script, it has to happen for real because if the script calls for a slap, there has to, somebody gets slapped. If somebody is taking a shot in the script, somebody's actually going to take a shot. You can't die in a Neo's play because then you die in real life. We don't want that. So yeah, sorry. I just went on a big tangent, but that was the idea is that that's, where I got my start in performance art. And then mm-hmm. each and every is like very easily traceable back to
0: that. I love that.
1: I don't know how we got on that topic
0: though. It's okay. My pain levels are high enough that I don't either, but there will be a VOD. So if we want to review and trace it, we can. Hell yeah. <laughs> so I have one more question about TTRPGs before we pivot to disability. Cause I want to make sure we have time to talk about all the different things we want to talk about today. How does your gender identity intersect with your Love of tabletop role playing, your participation, your game design—like, what does it look like when you slap that lens onto tabletop games?
1: Very concretely, I got my name from a care. I stole my name from a tabletop character that I created for a Monster Hearts campaign. I was playing a changeling, a fae, and so I stole my name. I stole what my name from do? a fae. A little Uno reverse card there. Don't tell the <laughs> don't don't tell the fairy king, but. Yeah, I just, I was listening to my, I was in a scene and I was listening to my friends call me Rook and I thought, hold on a moment. That feels real good. And I changed my name socially that day. I was like, oh, this, I figured it out because that was the 15th time that word had popped up in my life in a significant way. So at that point, it just felt like I needed to just embrace it. Three times a spell, right? Yeah, but it was more. Th- it was also more <laughs> than three. I guess I just need repeated lessons. Yes. Is also the recurrent theme of my life. Is the recurrent lessons
0: theme. Ooh,
1: ooh, ooh, ooh. Got him, but yeah, I guess gender. Like I said, it's something I wear. So and so are characters for tabletop role playing games. I think there's a very clear through line there. The character I'm playing for Corbin and I's lighthouse game is a big bear guy who has a receding hairline and muscles and a belly and i have a belly but i don't have any of the rest of that and that's gender euphoria that's like i get to be somebody that i won't ever be physically and i get to play that's how i learn how to make art is how is playing there's a reason we call the things we do on stage plays We don't call them toils, although they are a lot of work. And we also call it role play, right? So it's honestly very similar for me in gender. It comes back to the gender gesture thing. Like, I just don't feel the need to take it seriously. I feel the need to treat it with care, but I don't feel the need to to stop playing.
0: Yeah. We are going to do a hard pivot. (laughs) <laughs> I don't oh, have gosh. a nice transition. Oh, disability. It's time for yeah. disability. We're gonna talk about disability. I saved art for last so we can end on a fun note. Cool. So how did you know that you're disabled? That even getting to that point is such a journey for so many people, yeah. including me.
1: Yeah. Again, repeated lessons, really hard grueling repeated lessons. And even now I feel like I'm left I'm in a position where I switched where. At first I needed convincing that I was disabled and now I need to convince others that I'm disabled because for the most part, it is not visible to the untrained eye that I am. I think it, it, can, it comes back to that self-recognition where I was friends with other disabled people and I read the spoon theory essay. And I also, it took like a bunch of therapists telling me over and over again. I think when it became about Reclaiming power and community. That's when I. That's when I was actually like, okay, this is who. This is part of me, and it's actually a good thing that I can say that I'm disabled, because I would rather have some kind of compass, some kind of framework for how other people are dealing with this. Yeah. Rather than just go through it alone in silence.
0: Absolutely. Do you? How would you feel about sharing like specific disability identities, just in case folks listening have similar ones and might be like, wow, this person has the same yeah. thing and is doing all this cool stuff. Yeah, that's a great idea. I would love to. Most of my stuff is undiagnosed and that's
1: actually a big, of repeatedly misdiagnosed is actually mm-hmm. a more apt descriptor. Yeah. But the ones that I'm sure of, and then I'll get into the ones that I'm thinking about. Yeah. The ones that I'm sure of are autism, PTSD, and chronic fatigue. And then it's not that I'm not sure that these other ones exist. It's just that we don't really necessarily have concrete names for them yet. Yeah. So honestly, I think one of the biggest things that I've dealt with my whole life has been chronic pain. Specifically, mostly in my feet, the bottoms of my feet. And since I came down with long COVID, it has spread to my lower back and my shoulder. Actually, my shoulder was before COVID because I was drawing a lot. And at this point, I'm almost certain, I was misdiagnosed with something called Amplified Musculoskeletal Pain Syndrome as a tween. And that's a whole thing. I don't wanna talk too much about that because that is something that I'm still grappling with. And I have a lot of anger about because the clinic that misdiagnosed me long story short they are still doing the same thing to other kids to kids and they're putting these people through treatments that exacerbate their pain and i'm just now finding myself in community with these people who went through the same clinic i did mm. more comparing notes yeah and all of us have a different diagnosis now and none of us saw any improvement through the treatment that clinic offered. Yeah. In fact, for most of my life, I thought I was responsible for my pain and I needed to push through because the that diagnosis is only treated through what is essentially causing nerve damage, um, continuing to do the thing that causes you pain to dull your response to it wow so what they told me to do was to walk more i didn't understand i was desperate and i believed them and my parents did too and i and it took me a long time to listen to the voice in the back of my head that was telling me there was something wrong with that situation yeah to buy a cane to try to advocate for myself
0: yeah
1: and it's still A knockdown, drag-out
0: fight with my parents. Yeah. It's only this month that I finally got canes. Like, I've needed mobility aid since 2014, at least. Yeah. And it took a long time to, one, admit to myself, and then, two, tell anyone else that I needed help. I just did many years of never going to plans with friends because it's too many spoons. Oh, if I have a mobility aid, maybe I can go do XYZ thing. It's yeah. I so wild. Oh,
1: can I just say that if anyone. Oh, you're getting a wheelchair. That's
0: awesome. Yeah. I I'm trying. Those. I'm trying to crowdfund a wheelchair. You can, too. <laughs> I'm,
1: no, no I, I'm planning on it. My friends in chat actually have brought this up to me before. We're going to try to do that. It's just, like, again, a question of spoons and yeah. organize, organizing it.
0: And it took, it Here's took a PSA. my friends and beloveds encouraging me to make a thing. Like, I yes. I was like, no, there's no way anyone's going to do this. Everyone's got problems. Me too. Why would I? But multiple people are like, give us a thing to throw money at, Meowster. We want to help you. And I'm like, okay. Right. So same, I made a thing. Same
1: <laughs> good. Same for me. And I, I just want to say to anyone watching who is thinking, like, maybe i need a mobility aid or i need this accommodation i need a cane or even just i want one but oh i don't actually need one or i'm not in enough pain i'm not disabled i don't you actually all you need to deserve a cane is wanting a cane so you should probably just get one because it's honestly i think for a long time i was telling myself i'm not disabled enough to need these supports but And I think that's a very common experience because of the messages that we're inundated with day in and day out. Yeah. Especially people who are ambulatory wheelchair users or invisible other disabilities that you can't see. Who
0: gives a... It's going to make you look sexy. So you should get one. (laughs) (laughs) My new canes are a rainbow. They're very fun. Good. I have one for each arm. They have these cool like things that go here.
1: Oh, that's I, that's awesome. So they have fun. the like
0: the C, the like things. Yeah, 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 yeah. So they, I was literally in the garage talking to my spouse yesterday, and she was doing something and she was telling me about her project. And at one point, I said, "Honey, I need to either go get my canes or we need to be done talking because I've stood here as long as I can." And she was like, "Okay, bye." It's yes. like, "Okay, bye." Yep, yeah. <laughs> you can info dump yeah. to me when I'm sitting on the couch later. <laughs>
1: like, yeah. That's- And my partner is also, I can't stress enough how they're, they have been like my biggest support and advocate and they just make me feel like I can handle
0: it. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you feel like, how do you feel like the pandemic has impacted your disability? Oh gosh. We're going, it's like the heaviest question I have today that i can well, think well i mean there's the
1: material impact of like long COVID exacerbating every single thing that i already was dealing with plus adding new fun challenges i don't think i want to get into specific symptoms because i don't that's think okay. i gave specific enough trigger warnings for that that's free. but yeah suffice it to say it's been completely debilitating and i i don't leave the apartment most almost ever i also because of this i have to order a lot of food or there's like just a million hidden costs that contribute to the fact that I am now in debt, but I have less than zero dollars and no income. And I'm living with my dad and I don't want to be. And I live up three flights of stairs with no elevator.
0: No. No door on my room. Does uh, your floor have a bathroom at least? No. No. I,
1: have, I live up three flights of stairs to the apartment and then one more to my no. room.
0: That, that's there's, a, so hard. there's a
1: bathroom in the apartment but not on the floor my no, it's um,
0: totally inaccessible
1: yeah it's really bad oh. my dad thinks it's great because it's exercise
0: yeah that's about as helpful as those doctors when you were a kid huh exactly
1: <laughs> and the doctors now <laughs> yeah it's just gotten worse because i'm fat now so like they just extra don't like that you mean but,
0: ready for winter Exactly. What to cuddle or for hugging?
1: No. Oh, I, to be fair, to be clear, I do not use that word in a pejorative way. Yeah. I enjoy the fact that I'm fat. I just don't like the way people treat me for it.
0: Yeah. For those listening, we are both fat.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: You've never seen us. There's some information yeah. for you. Yeah.
1: And then there's like the constant gaslighting. Of it's over. Don't talk about it. You don't need to wear a mask. Why are you freaking out that this venue didn't check for vax cards? Get over it, basically. Oh, only the only people who are dying from it are disabled, so it doesn't really matter. That's the consistent message.
0: Yeah, but here's dying. the thing. Everyone who's had COVID is Becomes now disabled. immunocompromised and is disabled. Yes. So everyone who's getting it is more likely to, yeah, it's a vicious yes. cycle. Yeah, I feel like the emperor has no mention, clothes in this situation. Right. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And it's not to mention the fact that you live long enough, you will be disabled. If you're not going to help me, if you're not, if people aren't going to address this for my sake, they should address it for their sake. Because they are not, you are not immune to disability.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We are all only temporarily able-bodied. If at all. If you, if you live, yeah. If you live long enough, the most you ever get is temporarily able-bodied.
1: Yeah. And I think people are in complete denial over that. Yeah, because they hate us,
0: and some of it too is the like capitalist overculture that's so focused on productivity. And so, if you're right. not productive, if you're not contributing to the dollar, if you
1: can't work. You're you're seen off, as you know you're dead weight.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and to be is, clear, that that's not absolutely. what we think on this channel. No, you are no. valid as heck. Just on as you are, channel. you can contribute zero to capitalism and still be totally loved and treasured.
1: You can sabotage capitalism and be even more loved and treasured
0: eyebrow <laughs> and you can write cute games and be loved yeah. and treasured
1: <laughs> and make a little money
0: yeah a little, a money little, the a games. little, as a treat
1: i've made more money through the games than i have pretty much anything else actually
0: that's pretty cool
1: over time um, yeah and with a lot of luck and bundle and promotion and
0: all that so what would make your life easier if people are listening to this and are going, oh, gosh, microaggressions around gender and inaccessible stuff is also terrible. What if someone needs like a call to action, what could they do to make their well, life thing, easier?
1: The number one thing for me, I acknowledge this is not a, most people probably listening are able to do this. So it's not on you to do this. But if I had money, maybe like 60% of my problems would get, would disappear. And then like the f- remaining 40 would get better. Yeah, It's so wild how much of this is traceable back to capitalism. And if you're not, if you can't toss me a few dollars, obviously I understand because I also cannot toss me a few dollars. But yeah. at the same time, you could, you could download my games for free free and re- leave a review. I always have community copies available infinitely forever because I don't want people like me to not be able to play my games. I- if you want to, for just for helping me specifically, there's that stuff, but there's also just, I think bolstering your community, like getting to know your neighbors type right? where you, you, your neighbors and also your like digital neighbors. Because honestly, I don't think anyone's going to help us, but us at this point, that's been made clear. Yeah. So if you need to do something, do it in community and don't do it alone because we're much stronger when we have each other's backs like that. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And for me, that's part of the value in organizing a community like Mm -hmm. have it's like, you know, not only is there the emotional support piece, there's also like direct mutual aid in terms of mentorship, right? We don't always have the dollar to pass around, but often we have experiences we can share or, hey, have you heard of this law? Have you heard of this resource? Would you like to sit in a call together and talk about totally unrelated things that are not the hard thing you're going through with someone who understands the hard thing you're going through because it's just, it hits different when you vibe with someone who gets it. It's, there's just a lot of elements of community that I think are so important. Yeah.
1: Yeah, so I really appreciate what you're doing here. This, this right. is pretty much the gist of it. More of this is what's going to make my life easier, <laughs> actually. I'm not joking at all. This is fully what I need.
0: If anyone listening to this later is interested, I'll put the Discord link in the resources pile this week. I don't always put it there because it feels too promo-y to put all the things always, but but I'll include it this week. So we've got a wonderful little community. We'd love to have you. Yeah. So, okay, I'm just gonna ask one art question because then I still have my three regular closing out questions to ask. Okay. So- I'll, I'll keep it brief
1: because I, I am, the battery is draining.
0: <laughs> okay, so you mentioned that you are really into collage right now. Can you tell us more mm-hmm. about what you love about collage as a visual art medium?
1: I've always loved the idea that like ethical theft and then repurposing junk to make art is, that's just my, that's totally my jam. So collage in the visual sense, but I also mean collage in the just taking old shit that I made or old stuff that other people made, but mostly stuff that I made and creating mosaics and pieces with that, both. In terms of audio, but also in terms of some of the theater stuff, some of the writing and performance stuff I'm working on is just re, is, is essentially a remix of past things with a fresh perspective where it's I'm older, wiser, question mark, but also just I've absorbed like a sponge so many more, so much more art, so many more friends' stories. And that's why I keep revisiting stuff and. and Cutting it up and gluing it back together again. And also, I'm trying to kick off this project at some point where I work very closely with an individual trans person who wants a collage made of of them to represent what gender euphoria is for them. Oh my gosh. So
0: that's so great. I've already
1: done this for myself. Thank you. I've already done this for myself, but I want to. Try to get the word out that I'm doing this at some point because I really want to offer this on a like a sliding scale where yeah, if you can pay me, you're going to pay me, but if you can't, you're still getting a collage because I think everyone, all my trans brethren and sister and (laughs) siblings, deserve to be able to see themselves in that light. For my collage, I repurposed a lot of childhood photos, but it doesn't have to be that it can be characters that people love or train tracks and a and smoke or a mollusk. It's, it's, it would be very like you said, it would be an individual endeavor, very personalized to each person. And I would want to approach that in a very collaborative way where yes, I'm the one assembling these pieces, but they are pieces of you, the client. It would be all about making manifest people's fantasies about, about who they could be and who they would be if they were given their druthers. So yeah, that's, that's why collage is my obsession right now.
0: I love that I also just feel
1: like a collage.
0: Yeah. I feel, I I feel like
1: one. Yeah.
0: We were talking earlier about how our disabilities are just a bunch of little entities in a trench coat.
1: (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I'm a collage just, of the just X-rays. Pretending.
0: <laughs> it's have you I'm ever just, collaged your own X-rays? N-
1: no, I haven't, but I keep them around for that purpose. So someday, yeah, someday.
0: It's on the eventually list. I love it, Brooke. We could obviously keep going for another hour, but I think spoons are waning, so I'm going to start wrapping up. I've really enjoyed our conversation. Is there anything that we missed about? disability, art, tabletop role-playing games, and immersive theater that you want to make sure that you say?
1: Honestly, there's so much more to say, but there's nothing that I need to highlight at this point. I think the conversation between us will definitely continue in the Discord, and if you're down for that.
0: I would love that. Yes. Friends, I see at least one person has already joined the server. Thanks for joining us. And if you're listening okay. to this later, the invite goes to you as well. You didn't have to be here on Twitch in order to jump in and enjoy the conversation later. Yeah. So Rook, can you share an experience with gender euphoria? You mentioned, you mentioned your collage, so that's one example. Mm-hmm. I wonder, do you either want to maybe expound on that example or give a different example of gender euphoria?
1: Yes, I was in a terrible play in college called Mary Stewart about you, Mary Stewart, the queen. And I was playing this guy, this like groveling sycophant courtier named Davison. But for some reason they decided to go off with my costume and they put me in all leather. (laughs) I remember standing in front of a mirror and I wasn't even using they them at that time. But I was looking at myself in the mirror. I was like, there's something here. Yeah. I look good. <laughs> uh, and I still look at that, the selfie I took there. And I'm like, when I need to re- be reminded that I'm hot and cool, I look at that selfie. And I remember every time I put on that costume, it would feel very similar, even though it was hot as hell. Yes, and like, literally temperature-wise. Temperature yeah. <laughs> yes, temperature hot. And, temperature and, and the and stage hot. was... Oh my God, the stage was awful. It was slanted by design, like no. even more, like in multiple ways, like no. it looked cool, but like I was oh, suffering. No. There was zero accommodation there, but the, but, and it was really funny to me in in retrospect how awful that experience was, except for the fact that I was looking forward to it every day because I got to put on that outfit. <laughs> so I guess gender really is something I wear.
0: I love that. Yeah. I got a pirate costume this summer partially inspired by Logan's picture in a pirate costume and I was like oh my Logan god it is yes. so sexy and cool in that pirate outfit I want to be sexy and cool like Logan so I totally got one and took pictures and I feel totally hot in it so there is something about a good like yeah. ret- retro period piece outfit to make a person feel good looking
1: <laughs> oh, do not get me started on pirates and gender don't do that <laughs> not now
0: Not at the end. There is a game you could try called A Pirate's Fate. It's written by a gender-diverse person, and at least one of the storylines turns you into a trans guy. There's a lot of transformation stuff that happens in this story, so...
1: Fantastic.
0: Also, Also, there's a lot of, like furries like animal people so it's good who doesn't want to play that it's a great time i do i want to play that tf Wright wrote that game and has been on the show and gifted me a steam key to play it on stream once and i did and it was very fun i am pleased i get to meet so many cool people with the show it's like i'm it's an embarrassment of riches for me okay so my last question is what would you like to make sure folks know about your perspective on gender and non-binary slash trans issues i
1: think it's been said but just i want to emphasize that I'm just one person, and you' even said in in your intro that nobody's a monolith of their identities, no nobody speaks for the totality of their community. so I, I just want to say if you rec- if anyone who's listening recognized something of themselves in what I said, that's fantastic, but also if you didn't, if your experience contrasts with mine in any way, like that's also fantastic, not. So much if it's an experience with oppression, I wish we didn't have to deal with that. But I guess I just want to note how, yes, I feel like I am a prism refracting the light of everyone who's ever interacted with me, but also like everyone, everyone is kind of um, beaming out of a very different frequency. If that makes any sense, like I, I don't want to represent anyone about myself
0: yeah yeah thank you so much rook for being on the show for those of you who haven't seen the promo doing things in the chat rook uses they them pronouns and is a white disabled queer artist living on lenape land they're also a gender jester their work can be found at https colon slash wlo dot link forward slash at rook the gremlin that information as well as a bunch of the resources we've mentioned throughout this show will be in the show notes so down below either on youtube or on the podcasting platforms it's in all those places and yeah so next week's guest is going to be phelan they them pronouns we're going to be discussing their youtube channel queer to help and i believe phelan is in a very different time zone for me so there'll be some interesting sort of international perspectives that we're going to get which should be super fun jennifer would like to thank our guests for being on this podcast P- feel free to join us live on twitch on mondays check out the replays on youtube on fridays and keep an eye on your favorite podcasting platforms for edited audio only versions as never kitty says trans rights are human rights that's right thank you everyone. Welcome to Gender Meowster Podcast Network. Genderful is a talk show featuring non-binary and trans folks discussing various topics and special interests. We kindly remind our listeners that no person is a monolith of identities. All opinions are the speaker's own. This show airs live on Twitch at twitch.tv forward slash and VODs with show notes can also be found on YouTube.